0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trustee Table. I'm Anne Marie Balzano, Director of Leadership and Governance at NAIS, and today I'll be speaking with Dr. Eugene Fram. Dr. Fram is an expert in nonprofit governance, a business consultant, and an award winning emeritus professor of the Saunders College of Business at the Rochester Institute of Technology. He is the author of seven books, including Policy vs. Paperclips, which describes a trust-based nonprofit governance model that has been adopted or adapted by thousands of nonprofit organizations, as well as Going for Impact, the nonprofit director's essential guidebook. He has also published more than 125 articles, including for the Wall Street Journal and Harvard Business Review, and is the author of the blog Nonprofit Management. Over his distinguished career, he has served on 12 nonprofit and for-profit boards, holding several leadership positions, including board chair. Gene, thank you so much for taking a seat at the table today.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: So, you know, I've, I've read a lot of your work, and I know that you've written about civil discourse in the past. And given that we are about to enter, or we have entered what many have described as an incredibly divisive political season, um, how would you define civil discourse, particularly in a board meeting or for how it relates to boards?
1: Well, let's go to the basic uh, dictionary definition of them, which I found is, is, is as good as anything that I could find. And it's approach for enhancing discussion. Uh, most often uh, it's something that is learned through practice, uh, although you obviously can uh, and see it when it fails to occur that's incivility. It is not something that traditionally uh, is is taught uh, unless the person uh, becomes a board chair and and has had debate experiences. Now, the support system. Uh, for civil discourse is, as you probably know, Robert's Rules of Order, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a plan that has been around perhaps for a century or more. And it's a platform for civil discussion. And most meetings are conducted uh, via Robert's. Uh, For example, if you take a look at the traditional agenda, you will see uh, the agenda calls for uh, the review of the minutes of the last meeting. It calls for new business. It calls for old business. It also includes a system for acting uh, on motions, recognizing people who want to comment, and so, so forth. When Robert's rules becomes a pathway uh, to civil discourse, however... I also think that school boards in general might have a larger problem than most nonprofits in maintaining civil discourse. Uh my reasoning is uh like most other nonprofits independent school boards have board members who are passionate about the mission of the organization. Mm-hmm. But many unlike many other nonprofits uh they are closer to the children being taught and the ways that they are being taught. Consequently, board members might have uh, several different perspectives on the process. In addition to having that um, uh, hypothesis, uh, my uh, late wife was a primary school teacher. Mm-hmm. And for example, I know how, the di- how difficult the discussions can be about uh, teaching teaching such common topics, uh, such as reading. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, in summary, when civil discourse fails in a board meeting, all involved will have little trouble knowing it. Now, on the other hand, also coming back to the point of Uh, can it be taught? You find that I have yet to see a for-profit board or a non-profit board uh, in its onboarding processes get up and say, we're going to work by Robert's Rules of Order. Here's the book, read it, and Mm -hmm. we will discuss it entirely at the next uh, succession of meetings. So it comes about through practice that you see, that you pick up, and uh, that you uh, learn.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Actually, as you were speaking, it it reminded me of this idea of of norms, right, of meeting norms. The board chair actually makes it really clear in that onboarding process that these norms are the way that we operate, that it's part of our culture, and that, you know, when we disagree or that when there's a, a difficult issue on the table, these are sort of the rules of engagement.
1: That's right. It, it keeps it open and free. And I'll, I'll talk more about that later in our, in our sessions here, too.
0: Awesome. So in your article that you wrote, it was called Civil and Honest Discourse Needed for Nonprofit Boards. You describe a situation where the CEO and the board chair held opposing political views. How can this scenario impact the governance leadership partnership?
1: Well, I can be very specific about the case, which I, I know about. Uh, but I don't know about the uh, eventual outcome. It occurred during the 2016 election period, and I was moderating a session of uh, nonprofit CEOs, and they were uh, discussing common problems they have. Finally, one of the CEOs uh, said, I have a problem that I need a lot of help with. And he said, my board chair, who is also a major donor, keeps sending me literature about a political party that I'm opposed to. Now, how do I handle it with them? Material keeps coming. I have sent comments back such as interesting. Sometimes I have to... Do something uh, serious about it because I just can't go uh, continue with this. I, I feel very uh, insecure about what what's going on. The uh, group discussed it and they came up with a recommendation uh, that he uh, meet with the uh, person and express his concerns as diplomatically as he can. Mm -hmm. but understanding that his job may be in peril. And he agreed to that. I don't know what happened beyond that, Uh, but it's, I think, a case that I I would have a feeling might be happening in other areas as well as uh, this for this group of nonprofit CEOs.
0: So how do you see that impacting that that partnership model?
1: Well, it, it destroys trust. As you know, I'm... Uh, my uh, model for nonprofits is a what I call a trust model
0: so going back to this idea of like the the head of school and and board chair so let's say hypothetically that the same this very same scenario is happening right now so in in this trust model of of the partnership then are you hoping that these two people could come to the table and say, you know, not that we're going to have a political conversation, but instead say, you know, this is not a topic that, that is comfortable for me, and I hope that you can respect that, and let's focus on the issues at hand that really do affect us, such as what's happening at the school, the pandemic, et cetera?
1: Yes. Uh, putting it in other words that you'll find in the book, uh, that I see the CEO as a peer not a powerhouse. If I'm a board member, I'd like to think of, I'm not uh, telling the CEO what to do, but we're getting along and jointly accomplishing the mission of the organization.
0: And I think that goes right back to the NIS um, partnership model that we have in both the, the trustee handbook and the board chair handbook that really shows that decision making process between the head of school and the board, that there are some decisions that the board is definitely in charge of. There's some decisions that the head of school is in charge of. And then there's that, that space in the middle.
1: And 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 a mature CEO on uh, on a board would respect that and would know that and would rec- recuse himself from going over the borderline. Sometimes they uh, it has happened, uh, but it's uh, it's accidental and it's not on purpose or it's not political. Mm-hmm. I encountered one situation like that when I was a board chair. Uh, where the CEO signed a contract uh, for uh, some office space without talking to the board. Mm -hmm. And uh, we called him on it and said, uh, you know, this is a long-term contract that should have been signed by the board. And uh, he argued for a while, (laughs) but then says, oops, uh, I guess I was wrong. And the board didn't make a fuss about it uh, because the dollars involved were, were very modest, and continued to work with the uh, with the CEO, who turned out to be an excellent CEO for a very long period of time.
0: That's great. And, and I love the fact that that, that person was able to, to own mistakes. And, and I think that that's an important part of culture for both trustees and for the head of school, right? Because, you know, I, I know that we've been in sort of a, an extended crisis now for, for many months. And, and I know that Blurry lines can happen in terms of roles and responsibilities during a crisis. And I I think that's important as part of this idea of civil discourse of being able to say, you know, I've overstepped or I've made a mistake or maybe that wasn't the right decision. And how do we move forward?
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, In in other words, uh, you're talking to a peer, uh, you're not talking to a a servant. I know there is a uh, thing called servant approach to boards, and uh, I I don't particularly like it because it, it places the CEO at a lower level than he or she should be.
0: So what advice do you have for trustees when engaging with stakeholders who who disagree with them? And I'm talking not just, you know, about something political, but just sort of in general. Like, let's say there's a decision that the school has made, whether it be about the schedule for the pan, you know, for going back to school or whatever. How might trustees, you know, handle situations like this?
1: Well, there are two different uh, levels of uh, incivility that I've encountered one might be uh where you have a person who is in in civil to his peers or her peers uh and the other is where you have a divided board and and both are being uh in civil to uh, to the other other side for example uh in one faculty meeting and you would appreciate this one faculty person said to the other well, you said that because you're ignorant. Okay. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> a good way to begin a, a discussion. And, uh, and I think what I would suggest is you might take a look at uh, the ground rules for civil discourse op- offered by the United States courts. And they have a a number of ground rules, some of them uh, that will will seem to be obvious, but let me just go through them rather quickly. One is uh, understand your own behavior, uh, that you make sure you're responding to the other people, that you use words that promote agreement. Uh, and be careful of your body language because your body language can show a lot of things that your verbal language does not show. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, uh, create a welcoming environment for differing opinions. Uh, give your full attention to the speaker, if, especially if they're on the other side. Instead of calling the person ignorant, be ready to ask questions clarifying questions. I didn't understand what you said about that. Can you give me more clarification? Uh, the third thing that they have is listen for content. Uh, make sure you're listening to the other person, especially when you disagree with them. Okay. And find uh, fourth is to find common ground. Uh, acknowledge areas of agreement as soon as you can and obviously differentiate between fact and opinion. That's a hot topic in, in this day and age. What is fact and what is opinion? Don't interrupt. Don't have side conversations while you're there. Follow the directions of the discussions, how, how it's evolving. And finally, don't make demeaning or inappropriate comments, facial expressions, or gestures. No eye-rolling, sighing, or I- I ignoring the conversation. Hmm. So that's a, as good a list as I could find for handling yourself in such situations. Mm-hmm. But it's a tough uh, set of uh, guidelines to follow if you're impassioned and and, and if you're sure you're right.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Actually, when you were reading that list and, and you got to the... The, the one that says something about, you know, listening even harder when someone says something that you disagree with. I I even find for myself sometimes that in an argument, I'm doing less listening and doing more thinking about what I want to say next.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I find uh, I think this list is uh, a lot of it is common sense. But on the other hand, I think a valuable way that you should approach a situation in which uh, you know there is going to be incivility occurring. And and you'll soon know it when it breaks open. I've been in a number of situations in which that has happened. And it's very hard to uh, sit back and say, now, how should I be acting uh, instead of what I'm really saying is to try to make my case and I'm going to make it as strong as I can.
0: Right. Exactly. And and I think that this is a really good list for trustees to to think about if, if they're witnessing this in the boardroom. It's like, when do I step in? You know, when do those those norms around culture say, you know what, this isn't this isn't going well or this isn't productive? And, you know, do we step in in that moment?
1: Yeah, a common problem I've encountered is where a person is very obstetuous in the meeting, constantly giving long lectures, so forth and so on, and is really hoping, holding up the process. And everybody else is there trying to be Helpful. The uh, uh, board chair and the CEO often will counsel with the person and suggest that he try to change, but the person or he or she uh, doesn't change. And then uh, they have to do what? They have to uh, eliminate that person from the board. Now, that becomes the most difficult uh, uh, decision to be made. And and most often, I find they will not make the decision. Uh, They will just keep the person on board. The most egregious one that I bumped into was a person who uh, was on the board, made a nice contribution, but refused to come to board meetings. When they asked the person to resign, uh the person refused, and so they did nothing and held the person on until the end of, of uh of the term and then uh and then sent them a letter thanking them for their their service and that was the end of it. But, in no way did they want to fire them <laughs> or use the powers that they had uh, because they were afraid of the conflict that would uh, would uh, develop mm-hmm. it also uh, will when you get into these situations, it also divides the board too right.
0: right, absolutely because you know you're not holding everyone to the same standard of conduct and that sends a real strong message around culture right so absolutely. And actually, that's a great segue into my last question. What are some concrete ways that board chairs or committee chairs can encourage civil discourse during meetings?
1: Well, I think uh, uh, it really is up to the board chair. The board chair has to uh, work to build a uh, culture of, of civil discourse that will follow him or her in their terms of office. You need to keep in mind uh, Peter Drucker's admonition that culture eats your strategy plans for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you, uh, culture will uh, will overtake uh, the strategies for a uh, civil course dis- discourse discussion once the person is out of office. Secondly, I think uh, uh, you use uh, Robert's Rules to a modest or significant extent, depending on the history of uncivil disagreement encountered. If it is significant, appoint a parliamentarian to apply Roberts' rules of orders when needed, because you'll uh, certainly need it if you've if you've uh, come to that that level of um, uncivil discourse. And finally, uh, this is a tough one. ...influence the appointment of future board chairs to further develop a civil discourse culture. Board chairs positions are
0: not for neophytes on the board. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about succession planning at NAIS um, and and the importance that you know the board chair is such a complex leadership role that not everyone is, is cut out to do right. And so, being very um, having a really concrete action plan for succession is is really critical.
1: Yes, that's that's very important. Coming from a uh, from a high school environment, to understand uh, that uh, the. Uh, king or queen of of the uh, dance is often uh, uh, elected on the basis of how they look Mm -hmm. and uh, how they act, rather than their competency. (laughs) So don't lecture uh, board chair on those
0: bases. (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more. Jean, thank you so much for your time today. I've I've so enjoyed our conversation together, and I know the insights that you've shared with us are going to be so helpful to our members.
1: Well, thank you for offering the opportunity. I've certainly enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Trustee Table. We've included some great resources on some of the areas we discussed at NAIS.org, and you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Please be sure to listen, rate, review, and subscribe to a new episode each month. Thank you for listening.